The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm the host of the podcast, also Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary. And what follows is a recording of a presentation I gave at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Vancouver, Washington on the mission and mechanics of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I delivered this presentation on Sunday, August 2nd, 2020, and I am grateful to the session and congregation of Westminster PCA for not only listening attentively, but then also allowing us to share this material with you with slight modification for your benefit. Enjoy. Diving in, my intention for the study hour is to tell you a little bit about Greenville Seminary, but not just the mechanics. We'll get into some of that. But I want to start with a passage of scripture that really uh, frames what we do as a seminary. Before we dive in to 2 Peter chapter 3 and take a, a brief look at some verses there, let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Our great God in heaven, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love which you have shed abroad in our hearts and gathering us even into this place. We pray that as we turn to your word and consider all that you've done for us and all that you're doing in the world, even through theological education, that you would enlighten our minds and even renew our wills to give us a commitment to propel forward your cause in the church and in the world. In Christ's name, amen. So the verses I just want to direct your attention to, if you want to open your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll start at verse 14. He has just gotten through with a fairly difficult passage of um, speaking about the end times, what it's going to be like when the new heavens and the new earth are revealed and when Christ returns. And then he says this, picking up at verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved... Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. As I read those verses, what jumps out to you in terms of the crisis which will unavoidably assault the church? It's this thing, I kind of emphasized it to give you a clue, I guess. But in verse 16, this problem of untaught and unstable people, particularly untaught and unstable men, twisting to their own destruction the word of truth and even the gospel. I'm going through Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan this year and just read uh, Paul's, I think this morning, yeah, just read Acts 20 and Paul gives his farewell address to the Ephesian elders with whom he had spent three years ministering. Can you imagine having an apostle for three years? And one of the things he says to them, 
a curious thing to say to a church as you're leaving it, saying, you know what? There will be wolves who will come up in your midst from among you, he even says. So this is a problem that both Peter and Paul highlight. Jesus highlights it himself in his ministry, speaking about hirelings and contrasting them to himself, the good shepherd. But what Peter focuses on here, uh, which is particularly relevant and pertinent to seminary education, what I'm passionate about, what I'm working in right now, is untaught and unstable people. That's how he characterizes these wolves in sheep's clothing, these hirelings, these false teachers, which Paul and Christ warn us about as well. And the seminary exists and has existed as an institution, no matter which individual school it is, ostensibly to teach men and to stabilize them. So to take men who are sincerely called, but perhaps ignorant or have a few gaps, and to root them in the scriptures so that when they enter into the pastoral ministry, they will bear fruit and pursue for Christ's glory, as it says in verse 18, the reformation, enduring reformation of God's church and God's people according to God's word, for God's glory, out of God's love, by God's spirit. And that's really what we're trying to do at Greenville Seminary. That's our vision. And that's where I want to pick up on that. Our vision is for an enduring reformation in Christ's church. And now the way we pursue that in support of the church is um, through our mission, which is to equip men to be preachers, pastors, and churchmen for Christ's kingdom. And we do that in the context, and this is what I'll talk about, a bunch of fancy words, but I'll break it down. Biblical fidelity, confessional integrity, experimental piety, ecclesiastical accountability, with the distinctives of affordability, accessibility, and individual instruction. And so I'll go through that a little bit. The first and probably most important for seminaries, because this is where most of them go off the rails, is that biblical fidelity bit. We want to be semper fidelis as we're being semper reformanda. Always reforming according to the word means you have to be always faithful to the word of God. And that's at the heart of what we do um, We believe in inerrancy, inspiration, and also the sufficiency of Scripture, that it's sufficient for faith and practice. Um, Our philosophy of ministry, we teach our students at the seminary, is when you go into a church, at the heart of all that you do is the Word of God. And the ministry of the Word, particularly ministry of preaching, administration of sacraments, united to the Word, and everything else you do, be it children's ministry or organizing a nursery or going through a Sunday school series for new members or going out and evangelizing the community or even serving the poor and the disenfranchised and the widowed and the orphan. Everything else you do flows out of and flows back into that preaching ministry. And so I want to encourage you all and perhaps exhort you all, as as you prepare to launch into a search for a new pastor, consider that at the heart of all that you do as a church. And I'll, I'll put this before you. I went, you know, to public school and uh, when I was growing up, and we're homeschooling our kids now. And there are certain things that the school did, which the church ostensibly does as well, helping you think, helping you learn things or whatever. And so if, if a particular congregation doesn't have a school, you know, there are other institutions that will provide those goods, so to speak, no matter debatable how good state schools are, but you know what I mean. Um, Serving widows and orphans. That, I believe, is a duty, an evangelical duty of the church, expressed in the diaconate. But if we don't do that, there are still plenty of great organizations which will help. 
orphans and widows, and even the state tries to do that with limited success. Um, But preaching the word, there's no TED Talk, there's no TV show which will replace the church's work of preaching the word. If the church doesn't do it, it won't happen. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so it's, it's crucially important that you have that really at, at the hub of your philosophy of ministry. But for a seminary, we want to be faithful to that word. We have an emphasis on the original languages. Dr. Dyer's been teaching Greek there for almost 30 years. Uh, 30 years of students going into the ministry have learned Greek from Sid Dyer. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, I, this past semester, I taught first-year Hebrew as an upperclassman while we make a search to replace our Hebrew professor who moved down to Florida. And so that's a huge emphasis at the seminary expressed in those ways. The second one, I won't spend as much time on this, but this is important too, confessional integrity. Or you could put it confessional transparency. Uh, I see you have the um, commentary, and who is it, A.A. Hodge? A.A. Hodge's commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, Your church is called Westminster Presbyterian Church. It's named after your faith statement, your belief statement. The statement that the PCA and other denominations like the OPC, the ARP, and other uh, churches we serve as a seminary, they have adopted as their statement of faith. And we require all of our trustees and our uh, faculty members each year to sign a statement saying they not only subscribe to that confession and those catechisms, but they subscribe to them without any exceptions. So what you see at Greenville Seminary is what you get. Uh, When I I grew up on the East Coast, and after I graduated college, I thought I was going to go to a particular Reformed and Presbyterian and ostensibly confessional seminary. And I even went through orientation, and I, I was aware of some significant differences, even exceptions to the standards that the faculty had there. And then someone told me about Greenville and said, oh, if you want to be Presbyterian, you've got to go to Greenville. And I was like, okay. And so I looked into it, and this stuck out to me, this without exceptions bit, because I grew up in a PCUSA church. I didn't know anything about the confession. I had read through it. I thought it was really good. And what I really wanted out of my seminary education as a student was to learn what it meant to be a Presbyterian, this strange foreign term that's been anglicized to be put on church signs. I wanted to know what that word was about what it meant. And uh, Greenville Seminary, I believe, is committed and transparent about delivering that kind of education to their students. And so um, I appreciate that value. There are many fine seminaries that are, to different degrees, confessional. um, But to the best of my knowledge, we're the only one of our size or larger that has this requirement for our faculty and, and trustees, even. And that's been a great blessing to me and my family. The next one is experimental piety. Now, that's a very weird kind of phrase. Experimental is like the old Puritan version of the word experiential. All it means is what we're teaching in the classroom must be applied to every area of a man's life. We're not the church. We don't replace the church. Spiritual disciplines are inculcated. They're nourished. They're they're really shaped in the church context. But we perform a function that is, by its very nature, pastoral. We have a bunch of pastors who teach our students. You know, we um, our guys are trained to be pastors, and so you can't escape that even in the classroom setting. And we encourage that. I'm on the tour of the seminary I give, one of the first rooms I show off is the nursery. It's right by the front door, so it's easy to point it out. But it reflects 
It's the only seminary I know of that does this. It reflects our desire and commitment to families of students that they would grow up in grace together as the husband's going through his divinity program. And that's, that's a unique emphasis. I don't think we compromise on the academy model because of that. We don't, uh, we don't um, intrude upon the church's prerogative or duties, responsibilities there. But, um, but it's, it's, it's a real emphasis at the seminary that bears a lot of good fruit for us, at least in the divinity program. And then the last one is ecclesiastical accountability. It just means that the church oversees all we do. We're not accountable to the state to ensure that our programs are biblical because do you think the state would care at all if they were? No. But we're accountable to the church. So all of our trustees are ordained in, uh, in a reformed and confessional denomination. We have men on, from the Presbyterian Church in America. It's probably the largest group. Then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Reformed Church, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales, the Bible Presbyterian Church, the United Reformed Churches of uh, North America, and the Reformed Church in the United States, RCUS. And so it's a nice ecumenical body, but all united in faith in the Reformed understanding of Scripture. And we're accountable to those men for what we do. We have a number of churches and also presbyteries. If you don't know what a presbytery is, it's like your regional group of churches that provide oversight kind of a regional church. That's how we put it in the OPC, and and the PCA uses that language sometimes. Um, And we have a bunch of presbyteries and churches that provide actual oversight of our program. So we'll send a representative to sit in on a day of classes every year. Uh, We'll overlook our budgets and where we're spending our money, where we're getting our money from. Uh, We'll sit in and, and question the faculty about what's being taught, look at syllabi. And that level of oversight is... A, much more stringent and detailed than anything we would get from the Department of Education. And B, uh, reflects our commitment to produce men who will, oh, guess what, go into church leadership. And so that's, uh, that's a big uh, feature of our school as opposed to certain others that don't necessarily have that emphasis. In fact, in our, in our denomination, unbelievable to me. I don't know that they explicitly want to do this for Covenant Seminary, but... They have, uh, there was a fierce debate over the last couple of years about opening up our boards that oversee our agencies. So the, particularly the Covenant College Board, that was the big one. Um, but also uh, um, the RBI Board for Retirement Benefits and Insurance for your um, investments for your pastors and PCA Foundation. They wanted to open up spots on those boards to non-ordained individuals, now, they were very slick and careful about how they advocated for this. They said, we want non-ordained individuals who have particular expertise, men and women, who just don't ha- happen to be not ordained. We already have advisory roles for those folks, but decision-making voting power. And I thought, why in the world would a church want anyone other than an ordained elder uh, qualified for that position to exercise any decisional authority over any organ of of the church. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's, um, that's a really important to us at Greenville Seminary, that we're accountable to the authorities God has set and actually gifted his church with. Now, those are our values. I also mentioned three distinctives in how we do things. Affordability, accessibility, and then individual instructions. So I'll start with the, the most exciting one. Individual instruction. We have about 100 students, 
55 or so of whom are in Taylor, South Carolina. And then another 20, yeah, 20 students are in residence in England and in South Africa where we have extension campuses. And then we have, what does that leave me with, 30 or 25 or 30 guys who are taking it by distance from home. Um, and each of those men, between our seven faculty members, have personal relationships with our faculty. Again, that other seminary I looked at, I won't name it. I, I visited that school, and 50 students per classroom, all typing away on their computers, like a din of, you know, literally, it was insane. And I thought, how in the world do you get anything done here? And, um, and I would talk to students. I said, well, what kind of relationship do you have with Dr. So-and-so or Dr. Such-and-such? They said, oh, I see him in class. I'm like, do you meet with him? After class, or has he ever had you in his home? No. Really? Well, at Greenville, I've been in almost every single one of my faculty members' homes for meals. Not just because I work there, but as a student. Um, our faculty have prayer groups that they lead with the men and, have, and host parties and, and all kinds of things. And uh, I mean, it's, it really is a great supplement to the pastoral care we receive in our individual churches locally. And that individual instruction customizes the experience for our students, but also provides a lot of value and helps you build a network that's going to bear fruit once you get into the ministry, because ministry is not easy, just like practicing law is not easy. Being a doctor isn't easy. It's important to have friends who know what you're going through, who can feed into you and build you up and help you stay afloat. And then uh, affordability and accessibility, those are pretty much what they sound like. The, the main point about accessibility is we ha- we're committed to our distance program so that men who are really needed in their local congregation can stay there. So, you know, it's always ideal to be in residence. I started as a distance student, came into residence, is much better in residence. But the distance program is pretty cool because you video conference in, you still build relationships, and you get out of it what you put into it. So I put a lot into it in terms of contacting guys who are in Greenville getting to know them, even as a distance student, and um, very rewarding. And then the other thing, affordability, is exactly what it sounds like. We are way, way, way less expensive than any other seminary, but it's not just to attract students. Actually, that's not our intention at all. We don't need to be that much less expensive to attract students. It's in order to bless the church of Christ. What do you think the median income of a freshly minted PCA teaching elder is? either in a small rural church or as a youth pastor. <laughs> That's actually 15000 yeah, probably. Uh, it, it's very low. It's not, it's not anything like being a doctor or a lawyer or, or, or another kind of businessman. It's really much more like starting your own business. Now, when you start your own business, do you go into it with like $100,000 of debt from school, or do you want to go into it with capital saved up to carry you through for a few months? The latter of which, if you ever talk to a real estate broker who's trying to recruit you, he says, have six months income set aside before you go for this. It's kind of the same mentality from a practical perspective in pastoral ministry. And so we want our guys to graduate not with a burden of tuition debt, but with a burden for the gospel and for the lost and for the church. And we want churches to be able to, um, to cover a guy's needs when he gets out in the field. Uh, I entered seminary with uh, a whole lot of student loan debt from my wife's undergrad. And by the time I graduate, we'll have significantly less debt than we entered in. And that's only because of the board's commitment to this value of affordability for the sake of the church of Christ. 
And, um, and the Lord is really blessed with that. Getting down into uh, some other things about the school. I already mentioned we have 100 students. 98% of our student body is, uh, is enrolled in the Divinity Program. That's another rare thing. It's a school of pastors, for pastors, by pastors. And uh, as a result, it's extremely masculine. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm the admissions guy. We do have a couple female students, lady students who are studying with us, mostly wives of the MDiv guys, uh, but a couple who aren't. And uh, this, one, uh, this one woman from a, a good church in the area, non-denominational church, she came in and she said, so... Uh, someone recommended Greenville to me for a Master of Arts in Religion. We do that. And she's like, can you tell me a little about, about the school? And so I told her about our programs. She's not Presbyterian, but she, she wants, she's Calvinist, Reformed, whatever. So she wanted to uh, get a good education there. And then I said, now the thing you should really, that'll stick out to you when you sit in on classes is, um, it's like 98% men or more. And she said, really? And I was like, yeah, it is. And and. You might have to settle that if, if you want that kind of environment. And she said, listen, the classes are great. Everyone's really nice. But at the end of the day, if this was 60-40, maybe. But 98-2, that's pretty rough. And I was like, I understand. And so she ended up going to a different school. And it um, doesn't bother us. Uh, been happy to have her as a student, no problem. But the point is that um, what our classroom discussions are like, the hallway conversations are like, the time together with our families it really is focused not on being a dude, but it's really focused on pastoral ministry. And uh, Rick Phillips, who's on the board for Westminster Theological Seminary, but he pastors Second Presbyterian Church at Greenville, he has said, and I mentioned having a video, but I, I forgot about it. But he said, and it's in that video, Greenville Seminary has achieved something no other seminary he knows of has. And that is the cultivation of this kind of culture. And this is how I put it. A fraternity of holy men pursuing the ministry together. I love that phrase. I use it all the time. And Rick loves that I use it because he came up with it. That's really the environment at the school. It's not a dry ivory tower academy. And if any of you sat in on the class, on one of our classes, with the exception of maybe like Greek exegesis or something. Though you know Dr. Dyer, so maybe you would like that. Um, but the exception of an upper level language class or something. If you sat in on any of our systematics courses... What would strike you, I think, is the emphasis on how it is all relevant in the life of the church and for, like, normal people. And so we want our men to be scholars and to be erudite and to have this rigorous academic program, but not at the expense of preparing them to be pastors. And so if you get candidates from Greenville Seminary who are responding to the call that you're going to put out there if you do it that way, or if you get recommended men from Greenville Seminary, I hope and I suspect that they will reflect that concern for the church, which their teachers, their instructors, have baked into them over 122 credit hours, and and that it would be a blessing to you. You're not going to get guys up here. I've heard sermons like this, and it's like, come on, dude, you know, who, who will preach out of, let's say, Exodus 33, 34, where Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you and preach it like this. So God's glory is God's goodness and his goodness is his glory. Amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> all that's true. But shouldn't you preach it? God's goodness is his glory. You wanna see the glory of God? You wanna see strongholds taken down? Look at the goodness of God. And, and understand that it's, it's to the heart. It's not just an academic treatise or delivery. 
At this point, one of the attendees asked me how long it would take to get through the full program at a three-quarter time pace. Three-quarter time. Well, if you go full-time, it's four years. So maybe one of the kids can help me with Common Core math. Uh, if you're going at 75% speed, how long will a four-year program take? Uh, I think you probably wrap that up in five years, maybe six, if, if your schedule gets wonky and you're going out of sequence. At this point, an attendee asked me if we accepted female students. We do, just not in the divinity program, that's all. But we have a number of, of, of lady students who contribute to class and are a real blessing to us. As a follow-up question, the same attendee asked me how the female students contribute to class. Uh, they contribute to discussion. They're full students. And, uh, and that's, it's, it's been very beneficial. This, one of our ladies, she, uh, she's doing an MAR with us right now. She asks the best questions in class. And, you know, as a pastor, uh, as someone trained to be a pastor, it's really helpful to hear the kinds of questions that cross her mind. Because they're not always the kinds of questions that occur to me. But once I hear them, I think, oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to file away Dr. Pipe's answer to that uh, because it'll come up in my ministry. At this point, another attendee asked me a follow-up question to clarify what is meant by the phrase divinity program. Now, he knew what that meant, but for the sake of other attendees, he asked me to, to give some explanation about that vocabulary. Yeah, thank you so much. That's, that's good. I need, I need the brakes put on me every once in a while because um, I live in, with this vocabulary all the time. A divinity program is a program of men uh, for training for the pastoral ministry, whereas a Master of Arts in Religion program, which is uh, the program we have open to ladies, could, uh, is more of a content-based program. We do have a counseling, um, a counseling concentration. A couple people are enrolled in that, men and women. But uh, for the most part, it, that program lacks um, practica classes, so we don't have women in our preaching classes, in our advanced exegesis classes, which are effectually, effectively preaching, and, uh, and in some of our other pastoral ministry-specific uh, courses. Now, it's different. At, at Westminster and at Covenant uh, seminaries, ladies can get MDivs because they have an MDiv in counseling. I'm of the opinion that there's no need for a, a, a denomination that doesn't ordain women into office to offer MDivs to women because it's the MDiv historically has been for pastors, not, not for counselors, uh, unordained or non-ordained commissioned church workers, as our denomination puts it. At this point in the class, one of the attendees told a brief story from her own experience and asked a question about how best to choose a church. The, the key is to go back to the Word and, and rely on the authority and sufficiency of God's Word to define what you believe and to guide you in your practice. And one of the emphases at Greenville Seminary, it has been a real powerhouse for foreign missions. We take guys from abroad, give them basically free education and send them back and, uh, and, and do dynamite work. Um, the first translation of Calvin's Institutes into Albanian done by uh, an assistant pastor. Well, now he's, their church is particularized, but a graduate of the seminary who Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church, and I attend there, um, has sponsored and helped get through seminary. First ever translation of Calvin into Albanian, done by a Greenville grad. is super cool. Um, but we also have a huge emphasis on church planting, and particularly in, uh, no, in the PCA too, but a, a lot of guys in OPC who have planted churches in the metro New York area, and then also in Ohio, in the Miami Valley, around Dayton area, in Columbus, and uh, in Virginia Beach, and, I mean, in Greenville itself. I mean, there's just this, this 
energy that guys have to get out there and get at it in terms of ministry of the word is something that the seminary has a good, strong record of inculcating without compromising to the culture. At this point, another attendee asked me how our emphasis on experimental piety or experiential religion is expressed in the ministry of our graduates and even at the seminary itself. The biggest thing is not shying away from application in our preaching. And hopefully I'll do at least an adequate job of that later today, where um, we believe there are two parts to the preaching of the word. There's the Um, and forgive the Latin terms, explicatio verbi dei, the explication or exposition, reading of the word of God, so explaining it, and then the applicatio verbi dei, the application of the word of God, applying it to your hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so not being afraid of saying, um, this is what you know, this is faith, now this is what you do with it, ladies or men or boys and girls or, you know, to different groups. So that, that's going to be expressed, but also in terms of student experience, the faculty are very good at calling us on our sin when it's evident in the classroom or otherwise, or uh, just promoting godliness positively in all that we do, and having our families with us. This is a huge danger in seminary, and uh, if any of you are considering studies or just wondering how to pray for men in seminary, this is a huge thing to keep in mind. It is so easy for a guy to go to seminary with a family, like I have, and get so wrapped up in studies and trying to get it done as fast as possible that he leaves his wife and kids in the dust. My wife and I didn't grow up reformed. We became reformed together in college. Our whole story is, uh, is this beautiful tale of being knit together in theological development as a couple. And then now with our children, and, and still continuing to grow, even with our children. Uh, and Greenville Seminary has played a huge part in that now over the last five years. And so um, does that answer your question in terms of experiential, just the experience of religion applying faith to every area of life? You know, you, you'll get out, the world is increasingly like this, but it's always been like this, where they say there is no real public application of your faith. It's a private matter. You know, it makes it feel good. They, they see what we're doing today as the equivalent of going to a bar or going to a rock concert. It's inessential. It's luxurious. It's entertainment. That's not what we're doing. Um, and don't buy that lie from the culture, particularly to the young guys and gals here. Don't, don't buy that lie. Uh, what, what you learn from God's word, what the Spirit's doing in your heart through the public means of grace, but also your individual Bible study, your time and prayer with your family, with your mom and dad, and all of that has direct bearing, definitive bearing on all that you do in your whole life. And we don't let our students forget that either. And, uh, and it's great. Dr. McGraw in particular and Dr. Piper have been, uh, not that the other guys haven't been, but Dr. Piper, and Dr. McGraw have been such an encouragement to me to propel me forward as a father and a husband as well as as you know, Christian scholar and you know, preacher and pastor or whatever. At this point, another attendee asked me what are the prerequisites for attending Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary as a student? What are the prerequisites, the requirements of, of going to Greenville Seminary? That's a great question, too. Um, I, I redesigned the application process a couple years ago. I based it actually largely on Southern Baptist Seminary's application because it's a good application. But we require um, your basic, you know, contact information kind of form. It's a page and a half. Uh, two to three page, double-spaced, spiritual autobiography. 
and we're particularly looking for men to tell us what Christ means to them. We also require three recommendations, including an academic reference, and then an elder's affirmation form. The session has to say, we think this individual can pursue advanced theological education. We are okay with that. It's not them saying we're going to call him as a pastor after he graduates, just saying we endorse him for this. But for educational attainment, for the master's degree programs, you need a bachelor's. Uh, Now seminaries, a couple, I think Westminster West does this, and Southern might do this now. They, and RTS, I think, has started doing this. They, they, bring, they allow people into the master's program without a bachelor's. And they have extra requirements, but I just think it's kind of strange. If you have a CV or a resume and you say master's degree but no bachelor's, you're going to get questions about that all the time. So we, we do it a different way. We have a master's of divinity and a bachelor's of divinity. And then we have Master of Arts and Religion, Master of Ministry for Ruling Elders, and then Certificates in, in Religion and, uh, and for Ruling Elders. And so um, basically the same programs, just different levels depending upon your background. The BDiv is, is really significant. We've had a lot of guys with a vocational backgrounds. At this point, an attendee interjected, uh, told a, a brief story that was relevant, and then asked a question about how it is a man with a bachelor's degree can enter into pastoral ministry in Presbyterian churches in this country. It's called the extraordinary clause in our BCO for allowing for that. So we allow men who are over 30 and have no bachelor's to into that program. Of course, I was referring to the Bachelor's of Divinity program and what, we, what the requirements are for that. Then a follow-up question was asked about how long it would take to get a master's after completing the BDiv at Greenville Seminary. Uh, we have a program where we'll let a guy get a BDiv and an MAR at the same time. He just has to take a bunch of extra classes in the summers. But he can still do it in the same period of time, or he can take an extra year. The next question I received was from another attendee who wanted to know how we direct our students to get involved in the lives of their local congregations during their seminary years. We have a field education program where they have to put in 1,000 hours in local church ministry. Um, the, the mentality difference between our school and the northern seminary tradition is in the northern seminaries, it was so much of an academy, they would actually discourage students from going to a local church. They'd have the chapel on campus. It'd be, you're there for three years, intensive, then you're let loose. Uh, but in the southern model, Dr. Smith put it this way. I, I, I love, I love uh, the few conversations I've had with him. He said, in the south... We would tell the guys to get out of the classroom, get in, get in the pulpit, and preach as much as you can, be in every session meeting and diaconate meeting you can be, be to every prayer meeting, every worship service you can, because that's where the action is. And, and that's our mentality. And it's, it's codified in the field education program, but the kinds of students we attract are guys that want to do that, and the guys who don't want to do that don't do well at Greenville Seminary, because that's what all of our conversations are about among each other. You know, what is your church doing? Uh, for this. And, you know, my church has this discipline issue going on, and, and you don't name names, of course. We say, and this is, you know, I'm kind of wrestling through this matter, or, you know, we're talking about on our session whether or not we should take an offering. Uh, we should continue to do that or not. And so that's a matter, and uh, good debate on that, refining debate on the issue. Another attendee posed a follow up question asking me if we had any practical theology requirements. We do. Yeah, we have the three homiletics classes. Um, I don't know of other seminaries that have that many. We have Reformed Pastor taught by Ian Hamilton, Reformed Worship taught by Dr. Piper, two counseling classes. At this point, we had a little bit of small talk uh, among the, the class attendees before I invited one of the ruling elders to come up and pray for future generations 
of uh, pastors and for the seminary in particular, and it was just a delight to be there at Westminster PCA in Vancouver. Thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. To help ensure that we can continue to produce content from a Reformed and confessional Presbyterian perspective, please consider making a gift of support in any amount at gpts.edu. For more information about Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, please visit gpts.edu.